Well, Bob likes Harris's. And so I figured I would call <laughs> one of my absolute favorite Harris's to, to help me out this week. And it's always a pleasure, Chris, to, to be able to have you, um, to be able to get a chance to join you on your shows. And it's an absolute privilege to have you um, be able to join me here on Feel It or Fuck It this morning. Um, so, you know, you, of course, you guys know where you can find him, Harris Football. You can find his YouTube channel, which does fantastic work. And of course, you know, the website and the, and the newsletter and the podcast, the, the podcast is fantastic. You should definitely check out all the people that he has on there and the fine analysis that he does. So, you know, have I, have I, have I, have I kissed your ass enough at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was sort of kissing your own ass given that you were just on my show on Monday. So, <laughs> well, see, I just got burned on that, on that end, but see, that's the thing I, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to having you on this show for a while. So let's just, let's get rolling. Let's. Sure. Are you feeling J.K. Dobbins as a top 25 fantasy starter with everything that was going on this summer? Okay, so when you say top 25 fantasy starter, do you mean top 25 running back or top 25 overall player? Yeah, top 25 running back. Let's do that. Oh, yes. I think yes, I'm feeling that. Um, it's a hold-in. It's contract-related. Um, the coach doesn't know anything. He keeps saying that he's... Soon, soon. John Harbaugh's like famous for not telling you anything by when his mouth moves. But um, if I, I don't think I would have any questions that he would be top 25 running back if there were no concerns about him in week one. And um, for all three of the hold-in guys, I'm assuming that they don't have a lot to gain by sitting out the whole season. So uh, I'm buying Dobbins. Yeah, any idea and maybe... If we put, you know, would you put on the tinfoil hat on this one at all and say, is there a possibility that the Ravens are like, look, we're not going to ne really negotiate with this guy. And he knows where he is, you know, in this running back negotiation because everyone's going to pretty much lose at that position um, for the life of this CBA. But, you know, maybe we don't want to say we want a player who's quote unquote unproven we're just going to let him have time off and keep him healthy until the game start. So let's just have this, you know, this is a convenient way to have a little drama, um, but right. we're going to, you know, it's a hold in, but we all know where this is going to go. But rather than telling the media that this, because we don't want them to question, why would you hold out a player who hasn't had a lot of snaps, you know, on this level? Yeah. Do you think there's something to that? I mean, do you, would you put the tinfoil hat on for that? Or would you say, eh, Nah, let's just let's, let's look at it for what it says on the papers here. Oh, I think it's all about the contract. Uh, I, I'm fine. I'm sure that the Ravens aren't sad that he's not taking, you know, hits in the preseason. They don't take hits in training camp anymore. Um, like, I, I think uh, the time to worry about drafting the three the three guys. We're going to talk about one of them. I think another one of them in a second um is is you know you get to labor day weekend and there's still not no movement and they haven't agreed to come in and they haven't bumped up their salary a little bit or whatever you know at that point could i seem a world where i go okay dobbins now you're 27 i can't do you 25 you know anymore i can see the world I, the thing is that even if a holdout lasts into the season it's going to be one or two games They're, they don't get paid if they don't play yeah. so i i mean i He's a good enough player. He is sort of unproven, but he is a good enough player uh, that I, I am still interested. Okay. 
And Jonathan Taylor, I mean, as a Colt, do you think he could be top 20 at his position easily all season, even even as a Colt? Or do you think he oh, yeah. stays a Colt? Well, I don't have any idea whether he stays a Colt, but assuming he does, I mean, he's going to stay a Colt. I don't think anybody's going to trade enough that the Colts would find it worthwhile to you know, give him up. Um, they have him over a barrel. They have all these running backs are over a barrel. Yeah, is he top 20? Yeah. Is he top 10? Yeah. Yeah, he's still really good. Like last year, he was banged up. He was hurt. Um, and the offensive line was about as bad as it can be. I, I don't think the line will be as bad. Just the law of large numbers eventually. I feel like maybe it'll never get back to where it was a couple of years ago, but it'll be better. And and he will probably be healthier. And yeah, I'm, I would... I have him as a first round pick right now, like towards the end of the first round. Again, if I get to Labor Day weekend, is there a chance that I'll cowardly say, um, he's pick 20, you know, just to make sure I don't get too ruined. You know, it, it, the difference between having to draft Dobbins and draft Taylor is that if you're drafting Taylor, he might be have to be the best player on your team, given that he might be a first round pick or early second. Whereas with Dobbins, no one's going to take him that high. So the risk isn't quite as scary. So I could see people contract-wise just, you know, we get to the last weekend before drafting. I could see people chickening out. I could see me chickening out. But I, I still would predict that he'll be top 20 for sure. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see a path to saying I'd rather take the risk with Dobbins and see if he can give me top 15 production at the position, knowing that in Todd Munkin's passing game, um, that and the way that they're going to spread the field a little bit more, that he might be the pick to have. I don't think they're going to specialize with um, Justice Hill as much as maybe some Justice Hill, you know, niches of people will say, or a Keaton Mitchell or anybody like that. I think Dobbins. You watch what he did in that Clemson game. Um, you know, back in the back in the play, college football playoffs, you could see that in terms of leaking out being a, a screen player, the explosion that he has, he's a threat. And I think that we're that he may be what the Jacksonville Jaguars thought Travis Etienne could possibly be. I think he's more the reality of that upside if he can stay healthy. So I'm I, I'm a little more excited about JK Dobbins than than other folks. I wouldn't, you know, draft him in the same range as Jonathan Taylor um normally, but right now I think that, yeah, you're, the way you're talking about what direction you're coming from to draft a player, I can totally see why it's feasible to chicken out on Jonathan Taylor, um, feeling like that you're drafting him at his ceiling as opposed to drafting Dobbins at maybe more of a midpoint or even a a, a, a healthy floor. So, so yeah. How about a uh, how about Tajay Spears? I mean, I know we talked about him on uh, on your show <laughs> today a little bit, um, but do you see him? even having a shot to being a fantasy contributor if with a healthy Derrick Henry in leagues this year? I mean, I'm talking out my ass. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know about the rookies. I don't, I don't scout them. I rely on you, frankly. Uh, I'm excited about Tajay Spears because you're excited about him. When you give him the Jamal Charles comp, not the comp, but like as a aspirational Stylistic, sort of thing, yeah. um, that that's exciting because Charles is one of my favorite players. Um, I'll, I'll I'll say no, probably not. The likeliest scenario is, for me, the thing that I, I missed on Henry very early in his NFL career, because to watch him for three quarters is to not see a very impressive running back. A lot of 
slow floating towards the line and then falling down. But some somebody in Tennessee figured out that he wasn't like other guys and that if you just kept giving it to him, that eventually he would break one. And there's no question that while his buildup speed is pretty pedestrian and he can't really cut, a guy his size doesn't typically sprint as fast as he sprints once he gets going. And and they figured out that, yeah, you know what? 25 touches a game is how we unlock Derrick Henry. Uh, how many times would, in those first couple of years of Henry did I watch, uh, you know, the first three quarters and 17 carries for 42 yards? And I'm like, what is this? What are they doing? And then, you know, he'd break three in the fourth quarter and score two touchdowns. And so, I, I, you know, if it's his last year in Tennessee, his last year of a gi- giant contract, you know, they're – at the end of the line with the quarterback, they're at the end of the line with DeAndre Hopkins. Like at some point, this is kind of like beat the hell out of the car before you sell it. So my guess is probably, unless we have a Henry injury, probably Spears isn't a factor, but that's, that's also neglecting. Maybe Spears is awesome. You know, maybe they won't have a choice. Yeah. They're going to wear his ass out. And I think that that's the, I think that's the main thing there. And Henry does get used enough in the screen game that I, I like Spears future, but I totally agree with you is that, I, I would I would say fuck it on him being a contributor um, this year unless there's an injury. So what about Sam Howell starting the entire year? We've got Jacoby Brissett in Washington. Um, right. Washington is still a holdover from the disaster that that franchise has been. Um, it, you know I know that they're making changes, but changes trickle down, and I don't think the trickle down economics of this is going to work either. Um, you know, but Sam Howell starting the entire year, can he deliver at least matchup value for fantasy teams? I mean, he does have a nice receiving core. I mean, I don't want him. I'm not interested in him. I'm interested whether he can support McLaurin and Dotson. Um, I mean, I have, I have one game of NFL film to work on, basically, you know, one one start. And I didn't think he was great, but I also think it's not fair to decide he's bad based on one game. Uh I, I, I rank him 31st among redraft quarterbacks, so yeah. that's kind of a vote for probably someone else making starts. Yeah, Brissett maybe. Um, it, it's it's one where I'm I'm not educated about how as a prospect, except for what you know you and Paul and a few other people who I have on my show have told me about him, which was if he's going to be be successful, it's not going to be through overwhelming physical talent. Yeah. It's going to be one of those narrow paths, to, you know, great accuracy, great anticipation. And he didn't show it right away, but just because they don't show it right away doesn't mean they don't have it. So I'm willing to at least give, give it a look. Those are good fantasy focus points, though, from the way as to what, you know, how to look at that. So uh, here's one, you know, that we, I think a lot of people in the fantasy industry are, fi- you know, coming to, you see almost a consensus on this, which is, a lot of people believe Nick Chubb is going to earn a record year without Kareem Hunt in the fold. Now they, you know, Jerome Ford is an interesting player, um, but he's banged up now. Doesn't look like they've been talking to anybody about resigning anyone um, to compliment Chubb. Do you think this is a chance, uh, an opportunity where you look at him and say, we should go all in on him? Um, and, and and shoot for that ceiling where he because personally i i do agree with them that he could be the next two thousand yard rusher if the opportunity was there i'm not in belief that that opportunity is there but i would love to know what you think because there's some people i know in this industry who feel like 
you know, this is going to be a career year. Uh, you're talking to someone who has Nick Chubb number one overall in a standard draft and as a clear first rounder, even in a full PPR draft. So I don't think it's about Kareem Hunt. Just Nick Chubb's awesome. Nick Chubb is, if not the best running back in the league, he's really, really close. Uh, I don't know about career years. I don't know about, um, you know, as every year that goes by, a running back is more likely to get hurt. That's just actuarial actuarial work, but that's the risk you take of any running back that you take anywhere in a draft. Um, he's amazing. He's an unbelievable player. He's uh, just the right size, straight line speed, a lot of wiggle, really good cutting ability for a guy his size. Uh, catches it fine. They don't throw it to him a ton, but maybe more. I don't know. I, like, I think it's fun when people are now inventing reasons to like a player that they've missed on like four straight years. <laughs> oh, so I know I screwed up on Nick Chubb again and again and again, but this year I love him. It's not because he's good. No, no, no. It's because who else is there in that backfield? I mean, Kareem Hunt's gone. Kareem Hunt was kind of gone last year. He was hurt a lot of the year and didn't play very well when he was active. Uh, I am I am very, very, very much in favor of drafting Nick Chubb if I can get him. So I'm not going to say Chris said this. I'm going to say take what Chris said, and I'm going to say when I hear that, I totally agree with the idea of the invention of rationale, you know, of reasons of why Nick Chubb is suddenly going to be, you know, so good. And right. and I'll and maybe the answer is just fuck those people. And I say that playfully, <laughs> you, you know, because you know, because I can certainly have people say fuck fuck you for a lot of the things that I've missed on. Um, but you know, Chubb is certainly one of those guys that he is capable, especially with that offensive line, how strong it is. If Watson, even if he's you know ninety percent of what he was in his best year in Houston. And I know that that's still a pretty high expectation. There's enough there that you give him a full off season. Teams are going to have to account for him getting some chunk plays. He may not be gaining 30, 40, 50 yards on runs every once in a while, like he did maybe in, you know, in Houston, but he's still going to be able to get an easy eight to 10 on some plays where they've got to keep an eye on Chubb and that bind in the zone with the read system there, Chubb's going to get some easy creases and you give that guy easy creases and you're, you know, in the secondary, you're just basically trying to protect yourself at that point. <laughs> so, um, Ramondre Stevenson, is he, a, you know, he was top, top 12, top 10 as a running back last year. Everybody keeps hearing the, the Patriots talk about, you know, we talked to this guy, we talked to that guy, we brought in so many, di you know, different veterans. Are you in on Stevenson as a top 12 fantasy running back this year or even just as a strong running back to starter? Oh, I mean, it's hard to say. In the world of where we are right now, where our, every RB2 makes you want to barf, uh, he's, <laughs> it's hard to say he's not an RB2, right? Uh, you know, the, the real good question is, is he, is he an RB1? Is he top 12? And I have him ranked that way for now. But, yeah, there's, there's some smoke. I mean, it's the Patriots, so they're looking for a deal. You know, they could have had Hopkins. Hopkins wanted to play there. Like, it was all set. They just wouldn't put up the the lucre. Um, and so, you know, if Zeke wants to go play there for veteran minimum, if if Fournette wants to go play there for veteran minimum, I won't be shocked if they sign someone else. I'm not sure that should really change our opinions because at the point where you're taking Ramondre Stevenson, 
you know, name me the running back who isn't going to have some annoying threat. That's the that's the the reason RB ones are RB ones a lot of the time is just because they don't have the serious threat. But everybody else does. Every RB two has someone. We go, yeah, that could go wrong. Yeah. That guy's annoying. You know, he's got that guy there. He could lose ten touchdowns. To that guy. Um, Stevenson certainly exists for me in the ranks at a point where I get acid reflux. I don't feel awesome, you know, end of the second round, beginning of the third round, where I go, oh, I guess I'm going to have Ramondre. And and it's because I feel similarly gross about, you name him, like, name the guy. Do yeah. we love Najee Harris? Do we love, like, do we love James Conner? Do we love, uh, you know, like, a, just every name you can mention when yeah. you get to the RB11, RB12. Um Stevenson, like pure Stevenson, qua Stevenson, as they say. I love the size. I like the catching ability. I like how shifty he is for how big he is. Uh, he's not the kind. I, he's in the same uh, phylum, I would say, as Nick Chubb, but just not as good. But like that's that kind of player for me. And um, the Patriots probably will find some way to mess with it. They messed with it last year. I mean, Stevenson had this great year because Damian Harris is out. And at the end of the year of fantasy playoffs, we're ready to ride Stevenson. And Damian Harris gets healthy, and he starts those games in December. And you just go, okay, cool. But again, in the world that we live in, where essentially every player outside the overall top 20 has a problem because there are so many committees and there are so many three-receiver sets, I'll I'll take the chance on Stevenson's talent. So yes, the answer is I will I will feel it. Yeah, well, I'm feeling right? that you used phylum to describe where he belongs. Um, and qua other players and qua, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of Latin, yeah, a lot yeah. of Latin on this show. Yeah, see, yeah. I'm 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 loving this right now. But we have, you know, I'm totally I love Stevenson as a pure player, and I and I and I agree with you about the discount because to me the. The Patriots are like shopping at Dollar General all the time when it comes to free agency. Um, and, you know, if you live in the South, Dollar General and Waffle House are pretty much like, you know, you can't go more than like a half mile in either direction and not see one of these joints um, somewhere. So I, I think that they're doing that just from the standpoint of we don't trust Kevin Harris quite yet. He's gotten better, but how much better is he really? Can he really be that guy? Ty Montgomery, we know he's going to play five plays, get hurt, come back three months <laughs> later, play five plays, get hurt, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, um, or other, you know, other order of that. And then, of course, Pierre Strong, who's, you know, lightning in a bottle. Um, if you can find a way to open the bottle, get the lightning in. I don't know. That's a, you know, it's a little bit tougher thing from a decision-making standpoint. He's good in space. But they don't have that guy to be the redundancy to Stevenson yet. Harris is the, the closest thing. So, yeah, they're going to try and sign someone cheap and wait till after the contract. You know, you have you get a roster bonus, I believe, in the preseason. If you're or you get some you pay some extra money to aging veterans in the preseason. So you try to avoid that a lot of times. So, you know, we'll sign someone maybe during the regular season. If some of these guys that we give reps to, um, don't really show anything but I, if i have to take a chance on the acid reflex on any of those guys it would probably be yeah i'm going to take stevenson and make sure i have the tums handy or you know whatever you know the apple cider vinegar whatever it is that you know your <laughs> your, your weapon of choice for that kind of thing um so so yeah i'm i feel him as a top 12 guy if i have to look at the end of 
end of that uh, you know end of that ranking list, I would be okay with that, and I'll take the shot. But I'm going to be a little more conservative in my drafts, probably after I go that you know that early to the hole with him. I feel like he's going to be one of the riskiest picks I take in the first five to six rounds. Um, so I'll want to kind of compensate for that. Um, do you think, you know, that Brock Purdy is going to build on last year's stretch run in San Francisco and actually deliver fantasy value in standard or um, two quarter? You know, obviously two quarterback formats. I think he's he's obviously in play. But what about just in one start start one quarterback formats? Do you think he can deliver fantasy value this year? There's one load-bearing word in that sentence, the word can. I mean, like, I can fart out some, you know, roses right now, but <laughs> uh, it isn't where I would draft myself in the rose farting uh, category. Um, you know, I'm not going to draft. But will you finish top. top three compared to the, uh, our other guests who farted out, you know, roses? Well. <laughs> um, yeah, like I'm going to say no on will for Brock Purdy for top 12 because yeah. uh, I'm not ranking him there. But I'll say this, like, I was real skeptical in December last year because, you know, I was watching those games week by week. And for sure, there were – Purdy's detractors have a point that there were an awful lot of yak plays, uh, some easily dropped interceptions. Just a lot of things went really right. He had a sun run, Brock Purdy did, as we say. But I went back and did film on Purdy and rewatched all the throws from, from the games that he did start. Uh, just recently on the podcast, maybe, I think it was like two weeks ago. I can't remember, but people can, if you're interested in hearing that full conversation, you know, it's, it's there somewhere. Uh, and I was at least impressed that it was not as much of like a check down Charlie type situation that he legitimately had times where he stood in and made big boy throws and attempts and was pretty accurate down the field in spots where I think... Trey Lance would have checked down. I think a lot of quarterbacks would have checked down. He was pretty aggressive, and that bodes well. He had a lot of success on those aggressive throws. Some of them were like skin of your teeth kind of things. But I think the upshot of that, going back and watching that film, was I give him way more of a chance than I did before I, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, like if he was just going to be some flavor of the of the three weeks Scott Taylor Mitchell. Heineke reborn, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I give him more credit for that, and I think he's probably the starter in San Francisco, which is already worth something. Superflex, he's a he's a draft pick, no question. He belongs in the top twenty, but I don't think top twelve. Yeah, I agree with the overall assessment, and I and I love what you noted on film because it's the same thing I noted, and I got to provide that scouting report in advance to his quarterback coach Will Hewlett, who coaches him and Anthony Richardson, and pre-draft. One of the things that I had noted was. He's a very aggressive player for someone who doesn't quite have the arm talent that you're looking for as a top starter, but you can see him seeing the field like a top starter and being almost right on time to where he needs to be to make some of these tough throws. And sometimes he makes them, but sometimes kind of like Kirk Cousins early in Cousins' career, which was he, he, he saw certain plays like Brett Favre would see, but he thought he had the arm that Brett Favre had to be able to have a 320 pound guy in his lap and try and still make the throw. And it, you know, people would beat on him to death for 
those decisions. And Purdy was one of those guys that I said that I was worried about that because I could see the calculus that he was doing and it was the right answer, but maybe the timing and the arm weren't quite there for it. And that was something that, you know, his coach had said, I, you know, I, I watched tape with him and I had read your report before I watched tape with him. And some of the things that you noted on tape were similar to what you're noting, Chris, as well as that, you know, the aggression was there. He saw it clearly. And then there were even things he said, I regretted making the throw because I saw it, but I, I thought I could do it. And I, and immediately when I let it go, I was like, no, I can't, I can't really do that. <laughs> you know? So the fact that he's made some of those improvements, even in, in the course of being a rookie and showed enough care that, yeah, there were some rookie-esque type of decisions, but not so many that they were out looking for a veteran to get the limp them through the playoffs is a good sign. Right. So I'm with you there yeah. on that. Um, so who are you feeling as this number one receiver in Kansas City when we get rid of Kelsey mm -hmm. from the equation? Because for years it's been a really, everyone's always said, well, Nicole Hardman, he's going to be a thing. Or before that, Demarcus Robinson, he's going to be a thing. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, maybe he can, you know, provide something. I don't know. that You know, people at the corner <laughs> store when they're getting their lottery scratch-off tickets. But it's, right. a, it's one of those things that fantasy people love to chase that third receiver when it's been a two-man receiver game, pretty much Kelsey and whether it's been Hill or Juju Smith-Schuster last year as kind of like the two most targeted guys. And then there's everybody else who's on the fringe of fantasy value in a lot of leagues, but they never quite be in that situation where we're going, Patrick Mahomes is supporting, you know, three or four high-end starting, you know, guys in fantasy. Do you think that changes this year? Um, but more than anything, is it Skylar Moore? Is it Kadarius Tony? Is it somebody right. else? You know, where are you at with the number one receiver in Kansas City? Well, it's not Marcos Valdez Scantling because I've seen him play. He's bad, so right. it's not him. Right. Um, like like everybody else, the five minutes that Kadarius was healthy, Kadarius Tony was healthy with the Giants. I was like, holy moly, this guy's open all the time and he catches everything, and then. I just, you know, I would love, I understand why Tony's going highest among them. Um, it's probably too rich for my blood. I just, I, just having seen Mahomes win a Super Bowl and produce, a, you know, an MVP season and an incredible year with Kelsey and like nothing, <laughs> it just makes me go, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have to believe any, for me to believe Mahomes is good, I don't really have to believe any of them are good for fantasy. The one I have highest rated is Sky Moore, but, that's probably just like he's the one I know least about because he played the least last year and, you know, wasn't, I don't know, he played more as the season went along, was hurt for some of it and looked kind of like a generic slot weapon. I, I, I don't even have any of them in my top 50 receivers. Uh, I think Tony is the one who probably, if he ever could put together a healthy season and I think been behind the scenes, there's maybe, I've heard rumblings that maybe he's not the greatest teammate. Um, like if he puts all that behind him, I understand why people are going, you know, if I'm going to take a shot in the middle rounds, I'll just take a shot on Tony. It's, I probably am not going to do that this year. I'm probably going to wait to see it because it feels like it's been a few years now of waiting for Tony. So the answer is none, but uh, Sky Moore is technically, he, 
they are all on my list. <laughs> so yeah. Sky Moore is the highest on it on I, that list. I think that's the I think that's the wisest play, honestly. I mean, like now I wrote an article about Tony early in the preseason saying this is why he could have a career year, even if he's not going to reprise the Tyreek Hill role. Um right. and and but the big risk, and I've you know state this very clearly, is the way he is as a mover. He's a high risk mover. He gets his he gets his legs and knees well outside his frame when he's planning and cutting, which often leads to him falling down, which we saw early in his career, falling down and then having some sort of um, muscle strains that result from that. So he might be one of those movers that because he's so inefficient but dynamic that he's always getting hurt. Dante Stallworth was kind of that way, way back in the day, the former track athlete, Tennessee receiver who used to leave his game checks in the back of his trunk in uh, um, New Orleans <laughs> early in his career. Um, you know, wasn't so wise on or off the field maybe early on in his, uh, in his career and was a guy who was always getting hurt. So I'm hoping that this is not that case, but, but I agree with you. He's the guy that if you're, if you're a otherwise fairly conservative drafter and you want to take a, a high ceiling risk, that would be the guy for me, as long as you don't go high risk anywhere else in the first eight to 10 rounds of your draft. Um, and then after that, I think the wisest thing maybe to do is if you're not taking Kelsey, you're, you're looking at Richie James, Justin um, Ross and guys like uh Rishi Ross, Rishi Rice at the very end of your draft and really Rice you don't need to draft. James and and Ross maybe you do in a 20 round draft, maybe, but we're going to be talking about them on your show once a month as a waiver you know, guy. Yeah. On the waiver wire guys because those are the guys that can provide value. We know Richie James does that. He's a longtime favorite in that regard. All right. So the Eagles have a clear leader for its backfield with fantasy running back to value. Bullshit or or for real here? <laughs> Feel it or fuck that that statement. Oh boy! I mean, we could have put DeAndre Swift in that same exact conversation with with Stevenson. Like, is there a world where it works out? Yeah. Um, he he'd be the highest that I would draft any. Uh, Eagle running back, despite the weekend of propaganda, Kenny Gainwell propaganda this weekend. Oh my God, can we stop with that? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say in a full PPR, probably I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say I, I probably would take Swift, but um, in in half or a standard, just outside my top 24 running back. So that's really close. But again, I'm just going to go through names that come after Ramondre on my list. Uh, I got, like, I'll say full PPR, my list. I have Mixon after him, Aaron Jones after him, Najee Harris, Ken Walker, uh, Brees Hall, Alvin Kamara, Miles Sanders, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Jameer Gibbs, Alexander Madison. They're all the same guy. They're not the same. They're, they all, like, per have the same, I'm freaked out profile. by who else is there. Yeah. I'm, I'm freaked out by the possibility that they themselves are not healthy. I'm freaked out by something. There's something in the way, right? Something in the way, as as Nirvana and the Beatles once said. Um, I I guess I'm going to say, you know, yes in a full PPR, no otherwise on Swift. 
I'm a lot likelier actually to take Rashad Penny, even though he, the answer would still be no for the actual question, which is give me a clear leader. You know, I just, I don't think the Eagles necessarily want a clear leader. The Gainwell blah, blah, blah this weekend just accentuates that all the more. Um, Gainwell probably should be drafted too, because maybe we're wrong. We don't really know. We don't know what the coaches' plans are until they do it. But the likeliest scenario is they're they're amassing bodies to throw at the position, and there's there's enough there with Swift in in a peripheral role in a big play pass catching kind of role where in this world of RB twos he probably qualifies as one, but it's not going to be a great ride. Yeah, I totally agree with that because with Swift right now. Um, if you look at what the Eagles did last year, they used the running back as a decoy more often than not to get other people open. Um, so the running back wasn't a high reception count guy. But this year, I think they plan on changing that in terms of how they're going to go back to throwing to the running back. So that means that Swift and Gainwell, um, and then if, you know, could possibly do that. But Gainwell to me was Tiki Barber before. Um, was an aspirational tiki barber in the sense of he's light he's kind of quick not very fast he sees the field very well as a runner but he has no heft to him so i was hoping when he was at memphis that when he took the year off the COVID year that when he worked out he instead of being 190 he'd be you know 210 he'd gain 20 pounds and the quick and he'd add some added, added explosion didn't gain any weight, wasn't explosive. And I'm like, well, maybe in three or four years, maybe he can add some of that man weight and become uh, uh, the player that his decision-making prowess and his all-around receiving game could do. But it hasn't happened. And when you watch him, I mean, like, I, I admire what he does on the field given his size and when I'm watching some of his games last year. But when you have to throw yourself into a safety and the safety can catch you, and keep you from moving forward after all your and catch your entire body weight and mm -hmm. stop you. You're not the guy they're using in the red area. You're not the guy they're using in closeout um, unless you're spreading the field a ton. And they've got enough bodies now that I mean, even Boston Scott is a more hefty dude at a similar size with a lower, you know, you know, lower center of gravity, and he might not even make the club. So, but you know, to me. This is a this is a backfield that I'm not drafting unless it's after the 15th round and just taking shots, dart throws on guys like a, a Sermon, you, you know, maybe. And Sermon it may not make the team. We'll see. They're talking him up a lot, but we'll see how that goes. So for me, I think it's the guy in the last six weeks of the season that you probably got off the waiver wire or as a throw-in on a trade who you had a feeling that you saw something ahead of everybody else um, who is going to be the fantasy value, even though DeAndre Swift will likely get enough receptions to be a low-end running back two, high-end running back three, maybe, you know, at this point. So who are you feeling is the number one wide receiver in Baltimore then? Get another tougher situation mm. here. Odell Beckham, <laughs> you know, the, is the knee basically just being held together by duct tape? And we're worried about that. Rashad Bateman, who flashed, but he keeps getting hurt and banged up. We got Zay Flowers, who, you know, we talked about on your show, um, is 
Devin Duvernay? I mean, you know, I mean, we're... No, uh, you know, I know the answer to that question. <laughs> that last one, I know the answer. What, you know, what no. do you, how are you approaching this wide receiver core after Mark Andrews? Is there anybody you particularly like when you're drafting in this right, you know, right now? Uh, you know, the, it's all relative, you know, the answer is no, but it's all relative because they also don't cost anything. So it's okay to take shots. Uh, someone's probably gonna have a pretty good season. I, I'd say, since I know the other two guys, I'll just say Zay Flowers is a little higher in my ranks because I don't know him. So maybe he could be different than everybody. I mean, you know, the Ravens haven't had a sustainably good wide receiver for a long time for fantasy. And uh, that's with Lamar Jackson having an MVP season. You know, they just spread it around a lot. A bunch of different guys, very unreliable from week to week. So... I put I have flowers higher than I have any Chiefs wide receiver. I can say that, like if we're just comparing the futility of those receiving cores, but still not my top forty. Um, and then to be honest, like Bateman and Beckham are I don't know like forty eight and fifty four. Yeah. So they're both you know they're like I'm not I I don't I can't I can't say oh boy if you if you don't come out of your draft with this Ravens receiver, you've really made a mistake because nobody knows. We can't. Yeah. We don't know. It's so much of it is just about health um, and then the unknown of a rookie coming into the league. But uh, I also don't think you're wrong if when you get to the triple-digit picks, you know, after pick 100, you just take a shot on one of them. Which one? Uh, I mean, they're all going to cost roughly the same. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm just fine, you know, kind of putting them in a hat and picking one if you feel like you just want a piece in case Lamar goes crazy. And if, honestly, it's hard for me to see Beckham or Bateman making it through full season, so probably I'd be apt to say Flowers. Yeah, I would agree with that because when they spread the field, what you're going to see is that if Beckham and Bateman can stay healthy, they're going to do enough being spread in the field on the outside with um, Mark Andrews inside that they're hoping to create some coverage breaks for some easy down the middle of the field deep shots to whether it's Zay Flowers or whether it's one of Bateman or Beckham who works that middle of the field because um, Lamar Jackson to me is certainly a guy you're, you're going to take a shot on early if you're going to go early with quarterbacks um, I, I totally feel that idea um, with him He's not great on the power throws to the outside. The deep out, you know, the deep comeback, that's never going to be his thing, just like Deshaun Watson. He doesn't have that kind of arm strength. But like Watson, the kind of arm strength where you can put, you know, throw the moonshot, the Russell Wilson-esque moonshot, and you can throw it up the sideline and lead your receiver. Oh, he has more than enough arm to do that. And he's very good in the middle of the field. So if you get enough of the receivers working underneath and you're spreading the field enough that you're concerned about guarding every inch of space, you're also sneaking guys behind the defense. And that's what they're hoping to do with Jackson. So for me, Jackson's a priority pick. If you're looking for a quarterback early, you're that kind of a drafter and you want the, the ceiling of what he can do. And then, you know, obviously Andrews is the safest guy. And then like Chris, like you said, you know, it's, it's between those three guys. Bateman gives you probably the best yak um, in terms of overall power and speed. Flowers is probably the niftiest. He's probably one of the – he, Tajay Spears, and Nate um, Dell, Tank Dell out of 
uh, Houston, um, are probably one of the three best open field running rookies of this draft class. Um, and Flowers can give you probably a little bit more, um, you know, in, they'll probably use them a little more in the middle of the field than they will with Bateman. So to me, Flowers makes a little bit more sense due to health, due to dynamic ability, and how they're going to place him on the field. So, I will say, though, the yeah. Od- Odell Beckham probably gives you the most yak, though. Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> he does. He does there's yak and then there's yak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's what could have been. You know, that's the other thing. Fair. But I'll. But as a Browns fan, I'll blame Baker Mayfield. Um, are we feeling George Kittle to ever return to the day, the years of delivering 16 to 17 starts in the NFL again? I know predicting injuries is rough, but the tight end position is one where, you know, my buddy Adam Harstead at Football Guys, we've often talked that a true tight end who does everything as a blocker and a receiver, he can split outside, work inside, you know, block defensive linemen and strong side linebackers are rare. They're like unicorns. But we talk about them in terms of evaluation, like they just need a few years to become complete tight ends. And there's really very few of them. Rob Gronkowski was one, but even he couldn't like, I mean, he had a long career being the type of tight end he was. Do you have any fears about George Kittle just breaking down and that maybe he's already past that point of no return? Or am I too early on that? And you gotta, you gotta take yourself some George Kittle if you're looking for an early tight end after, after Kelsey or maybe Hawkinson. Uh, Kelsey Andrews, then Kittle for me. Um, you know, no, I don't even know where this is coming from. He played 15 games last year. He played 14 games the year before. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. Like, he got hurt last year, but he played through it. He started 15 out of 17 games. It wasn't a good yardage year, and he was hobbled. There's no question through some of it, but he was out there, and he scored a lot of touchdowns late. Uh, I have no, I really have no concerns. Cool. Like, for this year, I have no concerns. Could he be not like long for the NFL? He was old for a rookie, right? Didn't he start age twenty four? Was his first season? Yeah. So like, he's already thirty this season. So, you know, if you're thinking from a dynasty perspective, I get the logic that says, you know, does he does he does he have the Gronk career? Does he the Kelsey career? You know, where they they are really good into their mid thirties, or does it start to go bad? Like, I haven't seen it start to go bad yet. Um, but like it could for sure, I you know he's not. I think we think of him as being having been in the league for what six years or something, and therefore, cool. He's only twenty eight when actually he's thirty. But I'm still not that concerned about him for this year. This Sweet, season. no, like it, you know. And that's and I'm I like hearing the response. I I don't know where this is coming from. It's it's coming from me, but I don't you know. It's more <laughs> of a neurotic concern more than anything. But I like the idea of exploring that just from the logical from the standpoint of saying. There aren't a lot of tight ends who do everything that guys like him do, um, right. and they tend to break down. But uh, I love the confidence. So is there anybody that you feel like just, you know, you're not going to draft these guys um, right now, or you're probably not going to draft them, but if you're in a, if you're in a, if you were in a dynasty format, is there anybody that you might break the bank for on the waiver wire where you would spend more than like, you know, say you have a thousand dollar budget, would you spend more than a hundred dollars on? Is there anybody that that comes to mind for you that you're just like, I'm intrigued by 
buy them you know i don't know how much dynasty you actually play so that may be the other thing that you know I mean, you may I be play... more of a redraft yeah no i play plenty of dynasty uh it's it'd be a weird time of year in the dynasty leagues that i'm in to be like you know what here's 150 bucks on somebody who's not on any teams it's right. it's mid-august i don't know you know everyone's everyone's rostered but, uh, you know, but like aren't... a a free agent in your league like someone who would be like who's probably a free agent just because they're they're not a free agent on a team but maybe they're a free agent on your in your league you know like i'll give no, you no i mean yeah sure go ahead i'll give, give you an example. example of somebody but it's on the other side of the ball so it's you know so, so i won't go anybody offense but like a guy like ivan pace junior who's a linebacker for the the minnesota vikings who probably should have been drafted, but they didn't like that he was about two or three inches shorter than what's I the prototype for the linebacker position. But he's just killing it in games and in camp and really was one of those guys that it was that statement. If he's a few inches taller, he's probably a third round pick at worst. And he's just he may end up starting for Brian Flores and uh, um in Minnesota. Um mm -hmm. and he's been that impressive. So he's a guy I've been spending money on in IDP leagues as an example of that. I just wondered if there's anybody maybe on offense that you just look at and you go, this guy intrigues me enough that I might spend a little bit more than what I would imagine. You know, I mean, first of all, don't play IDP uh, dynasty leagues because you're a sicko. Stop that. <laughs> uh, you're, but see, you're in a, you're, you're already in like the ICU then of like podcasts at this point with me because that's this is all <laughs> i play so <laughs> um, but but it also it's very different on offense because yeah. skill guys are just so much more emphasized like the problem that i have with idp as a format is that uh as long as he's a linebacker he's gonna get some tackles so let's just you know that that's why i understand that you'd go cool somebody who wasn't taken in rookie drafts sure. is you know potentially starting middle linebacker for the uh vikings and therefore we have to pick him up because there's he's a source of tackles. There really isn't that equivalent on the other side at this point in in training camp because, you know, m most rookie drafts. I mean, my, my rookie drafts are all just for skill weapons, five or six deep. So it's 60, 70, whatever it is, people being taken. Most everyone was drafted there in our veteran auction or our, our unplay, undrafted player auction that we're going to have in our dynasty leagues. There aren't any young players that are interesting, you know. There's, they're all, they're all pretty much taken. So, I think the answer is, unless you have anybody in really in particular mind, that the ideal candidate of what you're talking about is somebody who we didn't know much about in May when we did our dynasty rookie drafts, but now has like popped to the extent that people say he's like undeniable. Yeah. And nobody's really occurring to me. Uh, at the moment as being like fully undeniable and likely to be unowned in a lot of dynasty leagues on offense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the closest players who can possibly hit that and they still, again, you need them to, you know, you're the golf ball and the dynasty thing that, you know, it's kind of like you would need a lot of different things to happen that you wouldn't call skill for that to take place. Puka Nakua, the wide receiver out of BYU, may not have been drafted a lot in a lot of leagues like that and he's getting opportunities to where he may be a starter and i'm not a big van jefferson fan so i look at him as maybe that could happen um i mean stafford's got to throw to somebody and as long as it's not chris durham having balls clang off of him like it happened in detroit maybe nakua can give you a little bit more of that um golden tate-esque type of skill he does have some of that skill set um 
but then the other guy and he, it's not going to happen anytime soon would be like a Jaleel McLaughlin out of Youngstown State who is a, a running back for the Broncos who has unbelievable speed and fits that Philip Lindsay but I actually can catch and run routes type of skill set um, and he may get a chance to be the number three running back on a team that has one guy coming off ACL surgery and Samaj P. Ryan who's a tractor trailer you know I mean so it's a you know but neither of those guys fit what you're saying you know in right. terms of that statement so yeah the, you know go back to Stafford Super Bowl year who was the second receiver after cup was it was it Van Jefferson was it Woods I don't think either one got over 50 catches yeah. they just weren't useful for fantasy it's possible for that offense to be what you know good and not have anyone else other than cup be useful for fantasy for sure so Josh Norris over at underdog um, I see on Twitter all the time because I like to pick on Josh is that you know he keeps using this tag of late round tight ends you know now my buddy Clayton Gray over at, uh, at football guys who's you know one of the unsung people in our uh, on our staff for sure who does a shit ton of stuff and he's just he's an awesome fantasy GM in his own right he, he jokes if you're talking about tight ends you know other than like the guys who can play wide receiver, then you've had too much to drink, you know, basically. But like, um, still, is there some, is there, you know, some validity to saying there's some interesting late round tight ends that maybe you should wait and have some people on your list to, to consider? Um, you know, do you ever play in leagues where you go, you know what, I'm just going to wait till like after the 12th or 13th or even 14th round to take a tight end at all, you know, and go, go higher risk that way. Well, does Josh mean when he says late round, does he really mean double digit rounds or does he just mean like yeah. eighth round? No, I think he oh, means, he, he means 13th, 14th. He, yeah. Okay. He's, he's thinking guys that um, like Jake Ferguson, you know, the, the Dallas tight end, who's like you're replacing Dalton right. you, Schultz, you know, as an you better take of three of them. If you're gonna do that, <laughs> right? And who are you missing out on when you yeah. do that? Because now you're, you know, I don't know. That's a well. I mean, the I'm you know I'm very much tip. I tend myself not to pay for the premium premium tight ends. It depends on the format, but other things being equal, I tend not to be the one who gets Kelsey for sure. I I can see myself getting any of the next whatever you want to call it four guys or so i'm not going to get kyle pitts because i've been right on him so far why am i going to go go away from kyle, from not drafting kyle pitts uh, this year um and so you know if i wind up just be through circumstance in the next group where i'm in the eighth round or ninth round and i go cool i'll take pat farmuth or i'll take evan ingram or, and i don't care that much is there is there a big difference between those guys and Jake Ferguson? Maybe not, um, but also maybe because I've never seen Jake Ferguson do a damn thing in the league. Um, here's what I'll say: earlier in the show, your dog is going crazy at my tight end. He, 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 he's he, like, he, no, he wrong. We're in Atlanta, and maybe he likes Kyle Pitts, but or maybe yeah. he just yeah, doesn't he like tight ends. He's more of a he's more of a safety linebacker type than he is an he, offensive skill player. He heard he heard uh, slander, Falcons slander. Um, so earlier I talked about how 
garbagey it feels after the first like 20 players overall something like that and it's true and there's there's actually a you know you, we're gonna have a hell of a lot of players who go from pick 21 through pick 60 that perform great we're also going to have a bunch that disappoint like we do every year even more so because more committees than ever in backfields and three receiver set as the base formation in the nfl and that's going to lead to a lot of similarity. It's going to lead to, wow, he was wide receiver 15, great call. Oops, except for there was a three-point difference between wide receiver 15 and wide receiver 60. You know, like there's just, they're all kind of the same. That does lend some credence to the idea that maybe now we need to turn it around and start reaching a little bit for the elite tight ends and or the elite quarterbacks. I don't want to do it in the first two rounds, but like I can see it. I can see the logic. That's kind of the anti what Josh is saying. Yeah. But I think if you haven't gone that way and you get to round eight and you see Pat Fryermuth sitting there, but you see somebody you probably like more for your bench as a high upside, fun, potential receiver running back, and you just want to keep firing, firing, firing at these committee guys. I'd also, you know, I don't hate, there isn't honestly that much of a difference. We don't know for sure between Pat Fryermuth and someone who's going to go in the 14th round at tight end. The problem is I don't think you can just take one. I think you have to, because you're probably going to miss on him. So you need to give yourself like more shots. But like, I don't think what he's saying is is bad because the position is essentially not a position in the NFL anymore. Yeah, and no, and I think that it comes down to perspective of how you draft and how you understand yourself as a GM. Are you good at trading? Because if you're good at trading and you're good at the waiver wire, then this is not a bad strategy from the standpoint of saying, I'm a stockpile at other positions like you right. mentioned. You can and then, solve it. And yeah. yeah, and then you solve it. You just, you say, all right, I've got this, I've got a surplus at this position. And what's the easiest position to probably have as an add into a trade that would pot sweeten it? And people would say, you know, or people, you'd say, you know, just, I, you know, I'm, I'm trading for this wide receiver or this running back or this quarterback, but if you just throw in this tight end that who's your number right. two tight end, you, you know, on your team, very few people are going to say no to that, you know, compared right. to give me another running back, you know, even if the running back doesn't even see the field, just the name of the guy gets people all excited. Let's say Tank Bigsby just turns into a Jeep, you know, and we, and he's just nothing. There's still going to be people who are like, but I heard what he did in camp and I'm holding on to him because maybe at the end of the season, when I get, you know, if I get to the championship game, maybe they'll play him and his true talent will show. You know, you get that. Or he mentality. gets hurt. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, all right. What about, uh, you know, are you feeling the secondhand buzz of the high that the Broncos coaches are getting? from talking up Cortland Sutton this summer. <laughs> uh, I don't care at all about what coaches say. Uh, I don't care what really what beat reporters say. I don't pay much attention to it. I think if anything, uh, it's a great time to zig when everybody else zags because the market overreacts to dumb things. The coaches are not gonna tell you the truth. Um, I think as a post-hype sleeper, Sutton's not terrible just because he's really cheap. Uh, I prefer Judy. But I, I don't prefer there to be like six rounds of difference between them, which is where it stands right now. Uh, Cortland Sutton has had an 1,100-yard season in the NFL. What's Jerry Judy ever done? Yeah, He's three years. He hasn't been over 1,000. Um, like, I think Judy's yeah. probably 
Yeah. Judy's probably better. Yeah. Uh, he certainly runs better routes, and he's more use him in sort of more dynamic ways. Sutton post ACL hasn't looked like the the contested catch deep sideline guy that he was in his one good year. Um, so like, give me them at the same price. Sure, I go Judy. But again, five or six rounds in between them that seems aggressive. Maybe only because it overrates Judy as it underrates Sutton. Uh, they're, they're different kinds of players, but I don't think either one is, like, terribly proven. Yeah, I think Sutton is kind of like a bigger, slower Quentin Johnston of the NFL of of previous drafts in the sense that people were really high on him, but what he could do at the catch point had a lot of inconsistencies, and he did shore it up enough to have a good season. Um, but when you watch his game, it was always kind of I've – I've seen people who were receiver coaches talk about him and go – the 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 work hasn't put put in yet to get to the point that he needed to be worth the draft pick that he was um in denver and so you know for me when i hear when i know that and then i hear them say he's watching he's been watching michael tom michael uh thomas tape because that's the role he's gonna play and he but he just started watching it and i'm going so you just started watching it in like late july august i mean that's like that's like having like a a research project where you've got eight months to to get ready for it and you just started them you know two weeks before like really okay that tells me what i need to know about you it also tells me that the the early rumors of him possibly getting traded that they're wanting to try and trade one of these receivers that they're talking him up there too hoping that maybe somebody will bite on, on the idea of him but listen michael thomas was one of those guys that you know whatever you can say whatever you want about cardale jones the pro but cardale jones in ohio state he literally pre-draft he was telling the media he said listen this guy whoever the quarterback is Michael Thomas is practically going to be living in your head um, the moment you become the starter. When I became the starter at Ohio State, he basically attached himself to me to make sure that we were mentally, conceptually on the same page about everything to ensure that he was going to be my go-to guy and that I understood what he needed. And I remember seeing this and then seeing when Thomas got drafted, the first thing after drafted is he tweeted drew Brees and said let's get ready to work like i'm calling <laughs> you know like i'm calling you up this is gonna you know i i i basically i'm gonna be living in your garage you know basically starting tomorrow morning do you want coffee donuts or some protein shake because I'll, I'll bring that here and we're gonna be we're gonna get ready and so i don't see I don't see Cortland Sutton as being that guy and seeing that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, yeah. to be fair, you don't know that. We don't. You're know right. What they you're really right. Are, what they really I, do. But your point is that if he's not doing that, you don't buy the hype. That's the whole point. Is that if he's not yeah. doing it, I don't buy the hype, and that's the that's the big question about him. And and so when I look at this, I would probably say, yeah, that I that. Anybody who's catching that is they're they're a little high, I think, on this. One. That's my opinion. <laughs> but again, isn't the price? Isn't he priced to move? I mean, he's yeah. he's cheap. He's cheap. Yeah. He's not going in the first halves of drafts. Like you wouldn't take the shot in the tenth round on Corlin Sutton. Um, probably not. 
Uh, in the tenth okay. round, if if Dalton Kincaid were there, I would rather I would rather take the shot on a Dalton Kincaid who I think could have a shot of being um, Cortland Sutton's floor, but his ceiling might actually be closer to what Kyle Pitts did his first year with actual touchdowns that being involved um, mm. in in that. I offense. mean, didn't isn't Sutton's second year better than anything Kyle Pitts has ever done? Um, that might very well be the case. But you know, okay. the but I would say that uh, at the same time, I don't think we're I don't think we're going to return to that. So yeah, his knee may never be the same. Yeah, yeah. But I'll say that you know what was what was a lot more than fair, even though apparently you know my my pre-draft evaluation of a Harris, you know, was had some critical points. Is that you know it's always a pleasure getting a chance to talk football with you, Chris. <laughs> And, you know, obviously you guys know where to find this guy. I mean, you know, Harris football does fantastic work. You know, I miss the almanac myself, but, you know, but, oh, the, but you. the podcast and the podcast is fantastic. The the, the range of guests that you get, the analysis that you do on, on YouTube, definitely go check that out. You know, it's always fun to have a fellow film watcher on the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. It was a blast to get to do it. And uh, anytime you ask, I will be there. Awesome. See y'all later.